This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues from the perspective of the principles of the Baha'i Faith. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing an interview with David Gillette a Baha'i who has lived in Africa in the country of Cameroon for 30 years, teaching English in the public school system. I started the interview by asking David where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. It was the uh, Lutherville Timonium area of uh, Baltimore County, Maryland, outside of Baltimore City, a typical uh, suburban upbringing in my own mind, there is nothing to really distinguish it. It's, mm-hmm. it's typically suburban, middle-class mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and nothing more. Okay. So you grew up there all your life. You went to grammar school, yes. junior high school, high school, and how long did you stay in the Baltimore County area? Well, until I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the University of Maryland after that. I came back to the Baltimore area. I worked on a master's degree at Morgan State uh, University in mm-hmm. Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, I went abroad. Okay. And so I was only in the United States periodically mm-hmm. after, oh, 1976. And what did you study at the University of Maryland for undergraduate? Um, Well, I started off with uh, sociology, Mm -hmm. with the idea of going into law school Mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I became a Baha'i, the Baha'i faith puts a great deal of emphasis on international service, and I really wanted to see what I could do abroad. The field of law seemed very restrictive for that purpose, and I got sidelined. I went into education instead, because that seemed to be a field where... I could work anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And uh, when I went to Cameroon, after doing volunteer work there for about six months, I applied for a job with the Ministry of Education Mm -hmm. in Cameroon. And surprisingly enough, they employed me. (laughs) And I've been working for them ever since. Now, how is it that you ran into the Baha'i Faith in the first place? Ah, I had some friends in high school who were Baha'is. That's how I first became aware of it. Mm -hmm. I knew about the Baha'i faith, of course, for a few years before Mm -hmm. I finally became a Baha'i. I I didn't uh, become a Baha'i until I was um, studying at the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. So you heard about it. You... How did how did you go from hearing about it to actually becoming a Baha'i? Okay, good question. It was, in fact, a, a long process mm-hmm. of a few years. Um, I suppose in my first course was, of course, discovering uh, 
God himself. You know, I was was raised in a very um, uh, typical, traditional Christian upbringing in the Episcopal Church. I suppose in my early youth, uh, I went through a phase where I really wondered if God existed at all. Um, One of my big questions in life is you look at the world and you see why is there so much evil in a world created by a loving God? Surely if God was a loving God, um, he could do better than this, that this kind of a world was rather shabby for... uh, for a loving God and and the traditional answers which I got from church did not uh, satisfy me Um, I thought that surely there must be more to it what were the answers that you got I will go into that in a minute but nevertheless man is 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 surely in his heart a spiritual being and we do yearn for God Mm -hmm. and I did come back to God uh, uh, again through Christianity through Christ Mm -hmm. uh, and I I began became what some people would say born again in in my first year of university where i where i opened my heart back to god through christ i remember i was reading uh christ's sermon on the mount in my dormitory room and i said surely such words are from god and they mm. spoke to my heart they were the essence of spirituality and and how we should view life but still, as a Christian, um, many of my basic answers w- still went unanswered. My basic, some, my, most of my basic questions still went unanswered. Uh, the, f- the question that I asked before, why is there so much evil in a world created by a loving God, still went as a mystery to me. The traditional answers that I received were, well, this is this is beyond human understanding. We cannot know this. This is an answer which Billy Graham gave in his uh, public address during the ecumenical meeting uh, after 9-11, uh, ecumenical service uh, organized by President Bush. And he said that he has not come to terms with this question. Why do such bad things happen mm-hmm. in a world created by a loving God? Mm-hmm. But the other answers are, well, um, you know, Adam and Eve ate the apple, and therefore God banished man from paradise and made man suffer. And the um, the other one was, of course, uh, the devil controls the world, and the devil is uh, uh, has usurped God's purpose. And so all of these basic questions really didn't uh, come to to grips with with my essential doubts as to why the world was the way it is. I they think. weren't satisfying answers. Indeed. The, the first satisfying answers I got were from my Baha'i friends. And basically, it is in a world such as this where we do experience suffering and we see suffering around us. In such a world, we have the opportunity to develop qualities of generosity, mercy, kindness, sympathy, understanding. Uh, If we were living in a world in which, oh, it was a paradise like the Garden of Eden, where we could have anything that we wanted and we would never need anybody and nobody would need us, we would never have the opportunity to develop the qualities of 
compassion and concern and sympathy for others, detachment from our own needs and more concern for the needs of others. We will never have the ability, the opportunity to work for the betterment of the human condition. But God has put us in a world in which we can work for the betterment of the human condition. Paolo said, be concerned for the problems of your age. And he said that we created man to carry forward an ever-advancing civilization. So these teachings of Baha'u'llah opened up a new world for me. My belief in Christ has always been the same. I, Christ was from God. But the answers which uh, Christianity has given were insufficient for my heart. So these kinds of answers opened a new world for me, and I become to realize that indeed God again has spoken to man in our age mm -hmm. through Baha'u'llah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that on this program you've had an opportunity to talk to uh, your listeners about this very subject, that that God has once again sent his his chosen one to mankind. Mm -hmm. Was it was there a difficult transition going from Jesus to to accepting Baha'u'llah after having accepted Jesus in your heart? Not at all, because I did not I was not loaded down with doctrines and dogmas as most Christians may may have. I was basically a Christian without dogmas. Mm. I believed in Christ, knew he was from God, his word was God, his word was God's, and through him we knew God. But as Christ himself said, that he had so much more to sell us, and we could not bear it. So the, But God continues to reveal himself to us. Uh, I know one of the... The Christian dogma of the the uniqueness of of Christ, that Christ is the only way, that that no one was sent by God besides Him, is is a very big stumbling block for most Christians. Uh, that um, you know that we cannot talk about Buddha and Muhammad and others because God didn't send them. He couldn't have sent them. He only sent Christ. Yet, uh, before he sent Christ, he sent Moses. And we must ask ourselves, what was mankind's duty when Moses came? Was it not to accept Moses as God's prophet and obey his law? And if so, uh, didn't those who did so receive God's blessings? And surely they did. And so this was a new way of viewing this particular verse, which is such a stumbling block to Christians. Mm. Light is one, no matter from what source it comes. So, in fact, uh, Baha'u'llah and Christ are from one source and have one light, and it is the return of the one light that we found in Christ that is mm -hmm. in Baha'u'llah too. So, mm -hmm. the differences which other people see between God's manifestations, uh, when you rise above the... the the traditional interpretations you begin to realize that there is no there is no uh, contradiction that all is one mm -hmm. that they are from one God and there is basically one way to God there's never been more than one way to God and that is through the the prophets that and the manifestations which God has sent mm. so you became a Baha'i at university 
at the mm. University of Maryland, mm-hmm. at the University of Maryland, when I began seeing the answers to all my questions mm. being answered in the writings mm. of Baha'u'llah, I realized that Baha'u'llah uh, is in fact from God. Mm-hmm. And then you got your graduate degree in education at Morgan State? That's right. Now how is it, that's a primarily African-American institution? Indeed it was, but I just by chance um, some work-study program fell into my lap. It was just like I was saying, well, I did not want to continue with law as my original plan, and education seemed to be the right course. And just suddenly the opportunity to go into a work-study program at Morgan State University just uh, fell in front of me. A, A close friend said, hey, this is available you want to do education, do this. Mm -hmm. And I said, why not? Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly the the fact that I'm not from an African-American background was not going to stop me from taking up an opportunity. So, Mm -hmm. yes, the University of Morgan, the Morgan State University is predominantly an African-American university, Mm -hmm. but um, I enjoyed my time there. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I think I gained a lot from the experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then, uh, what happened after you got your master's at Morgan State? Um, well, I, you know, the Baha'i community gives a lot of emphasis on international service. So I contacted the National Baha'i Office in Wilmette, Illinois, and said, I'm available. Uh, where am I needed? And they said, well, Cameroon is where we need people. So the next thing I knew, I'm off to Cameroon. Now I heard a different story. Okay. (laughs) I heard a story that they called you, they asked you if you are interested in international service, and you had, and you were thinking of, well, what could I, what, what could I say for, no, I can't say I'm married. Can't say I'm going to school. Yes, there is Can't a bit of truth in that. There is. I didn't go to all these details. Well, uh, but in, in fact, I did send in. I wrote to the the, the National Baha'i Center in Wilmette and expressed my desire mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they they did call me in response to my re- request and did say they needed someone in Cameroon. Uh, then for a moment at least, for a little while, the reality of leaving my country became uh, more than just an idealistic notion, but something that was right in front of me. So I did make... A, f- a few attempts at an excuse as to to back out of my offer, and uh, I was thinking, well, but I had no real excuses to offer. I said I didn't know the language in Cameroon, but they said, no, you'll learn it. So I said, okay, I can't get out of this now. I have already volunteered, and they have asked me to go. So mm-hmm. I. There's no getting around it now, so mm-hmm. off I went. And uh, what happened when you got off the plane in Cameroon? Uh, actually, uh, I was met by Baha'i friends in Cameroon mm-hmm. who welcomed me into their home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very wonderful 
occasion. I did, you know, I went to Cameroon with no contact information. I was, one might say that I was a bit young and inexperienced. I would and never. How old are you? How old were you? And what year was that? That was uh, that was 1976. I was 24 at the time, old enough to know better, but. Uh, Evidently, not old enough to gain. I would never tell anybody to go abroad and, and just go there without any contact information. But Was anybody expecting you? Indeed, they were. Uh, but they, they didn't know when or? Uh, no, the National Baha'i Center uh, uh, had knew when I was going. And they had told me that they were going to inform the friends at the other end when I was coming. So th I, I put the whole issue out of my, my mind. I didn't bother to request for a name or a phone number of somebody when I got there. I said, okay, they know that I'm coming, fine. So I land at the airport without a, a worry in, my, my, in the world. And there are people who uh, just came up to me and, and they didn't know they didn't know anything about what I looked like, but they just walked right up to me and said, "Are you David Gillette?" And uh, it was rather funny. They said they were looking at all the people coming off the plane, and they said, "Who looks like a Baha'i to them?" And they just came up to me right off and said, "Am I David Gillette?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, no doubt." <laughs> Yeah, the Baha'i the, the Baha is the one that kind of looks lost when they get off the plane. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so tell me a little bit about the makeup of Cameroon and uh, the culture. And I, I, I believe there's a, uh, a Francophone section and an Anglophone section. Of Indeed, it is uh, a bilingual country. <laughs> um, it was colonized originally by the Germans. After World War I, the French and the English divided it among themselves. So there is an English-speaking zone and a French-speaking zone. As a result, uh, before what they call reunification, uh, there were two Cameroons, but what do they call them? They called it British Cameroon and French Cameroon, and jointly they were referred to in the plural as the Cameroons. Oh, okay. But after independence, they uh, put part of them back together again. Part of the British Cameroon decided to join the French-speaking part. Part of it decided to join Nigeria, the part that uh, so one part did join. So that's why Cameroon is a bilingual country. It is also, it's also divided religiously between uh, the, the Christian South and the Muslim North. So the language division seems to match the... the no, they don't, because the language division is divided East and West, but the religious division is divided North and South. But there are uh, at least some Christians everywhere and some Muslims everywhere. And in fact, with so much travel, you find French-speaking people everywhere and English-speaking people everywhere. Uh, but anyway, the zones remain, uh, they, they still exist. They still have predominantly English-speaking areas and French-speaking areas. The part that went to Nigeria, was there something unique about that part from the other two? Yes, that part was part of the Muslim North. So they felt they had more in common with uh, the Nigerian North. Mm -hmm. But the part of Cameroon, which was the Christian South, they felt they had more in common with the uh, French-speaking 
section, their neighbors. So they decided to go that way. And truly, in the southern part of the country, the Anglophone provinces are very much culturally associated with the French-speaking Cameroonian provinces. Mm -hmm. Very similar. And what part did you land in when you first arrived? For the first six months, I traveled a little bit everywhere. Mm -hmm. When I first got a job, I went to the Muslim North for the first year and a half and it was hot and flat and dry and Kribi was a very small town you could go to the edge of that town you could walk through the whole town I used to I lived on one edge of the town in the evening when it was cool I would walk to the other edge of the town which only took about 15 minutes <laughs> and uh, then I would walk back again and when you got to the edge of the town the town just stopped and you just looked across the savanna which was dry and flat you could just walk out there forever mm -hmm. and the roads that went from town to town they just went right across the savanna when they got to a tree they would go around the tree and then the road would keep going it was the tire tracks that marked the road. If you could follow the tire tracks, you would know where the road is. Otherwise, the difference between the road and where the road wasn't mm -hmm. was a little difference. So it was hot there. I remember mm -hmm. I spent a year and a half. My students visited me often where I stayed. At the end of the year and a half, uh, they said uh, I was transferred down to the southern part of the country mm. and my students would come and say why don't you stay longer you haven't seen all of Crib mm. of Gider and Which I was with the province or and just that was the town oh. that was the town well, you the said town Kribi that oh yes i that was a mistake Kribi is where i was transferred to in the south oh i see i went to Kribi but i was in Gider and of course as i said you took only a few minutes to walk through it mm. and that's all there was. So after a year and a half, my mm -hmm. students felt that I had not yet learned all there was to Gider. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's one person's view. <laughs> I felt that after the first month, I had seen all that there was to see. But the people were there were very nice. The students were angels. Mm -hmm. Totally different than other places where I have been. I would mm -hmm. walk into the classroom and the students would immediately you know, become quiet and never and I, did I ever have to ask a student to be quiet. I had their attention. I had their cooperation. Mm. It was just a wonderful environment. Mm. I remember when I went down to Kribi in the south, it was completely different. The students had no self-control whatsoever. I could walk in and stand in front of the classroom till the end of the period, waiting for them to be quiet, and there would be uh, they would be noisy throughout that period. It was very challenging. And what would you account why there was that difference? I can't really say. I really can't really say. Um, it is true that the um, the Muslim culture in the North is very old, goes back generations. Um, uh, even not so in the Christian. Not so in the Christian South. In the Christian, in the Muslim North, uh, e with the coming of the European colonial powers, they did not change the culture so much. They continued to be what they were, what they had been for centuries upon centuries. The uh, Christian South had gone through a great deal. The, the European colonial powers had sort of transformed the culture. They had 
been taken away from their traditional uh, religious beliefs. They had adopted Christianity. Um, they gone. To, maybe they did not quite really know who they were, mm. uh, in a way. They but you're saying, and the colonization occurred what in the 19th century? That's right. And, and then, so well, mostly in the 20th century. In the 19th century, of course. Uh, it was the first contact, but it was not until the early 20th century did you see any, um, you know, any serious colonialization. Mm. Uh, mm. It, and in fact, it was after uh, World War I that the French and the British went in in any really big way to, to take advantage of the natural resources. Um, and that's when the people got converted from uh, whatever their native customs were to more of yes, a European that's right, that's right. oriented culture. Right. Um, yeah. Conversion started with the establishment of schools and hospitals. And um, when the children came to the Christian schools, of course, they were taught Christianity. And it took several generations for the people to acquire a Christian Identity. Now, why do you think that happened there, but not in the north? Well, the north, uh, they had, they had their their religion and their holy book, uh, the Quran, and it goes back, as I said, for uh, for for centuries. And Islam allows for a, a common set of beliefs and religious practices in the. Um, in the South, before Christianity, uh, they did have very many traditional religious beliefs, but they differed from area to area. There was no uh, common set of practices. They may have been similar from area to area, but not exactly the same. So that there was not a, a common identity among them people. People identified themselves, of course, according to their tribe and their village. There was no common identity um, on a larger scale. This presents some problems with many African nations today because uh, for a, a nation to be successful, the people have to have a common identity of the nation that they belong to and they're working together for the good of that nation. But if they put their uh, their village, their tribe is their main identity. Uh, sometimes the good of their region becomes a greater concern than the good of the nation as a whole. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in some countries uh, tribal wars break out and this, this results in civil wars. Cameron is at least blessed because they have so many tribes and uh, local languages, and in fact, this has been a blessing because they they don't form large groups that start fighting each other. Mm -hmm. They they live with their diversity. Uh, so there's no clear demarcation anymore between the diverse religious and cultural or language. There, there can be, but not enough to cause differences. I there had at times the 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 Christian South and the Muslim North. Uh, there have been incidences, and perhaps um, you know, 
occasional crises which may have created divisions mm -hmm. uh, between these two parts. But mostly, you know, uh, we thank God that that nothing has erupted. They generally live together in peace, and may it continue so. Yeah. Because wars in Africa or anywhere else, for that matter, have never really um, uh, helped for the betterment of the of society. It's countries which have gone into to to war; they just sink deeper and deeper into it, and they never come out. The, and this is true. Uh, Uganda is trying to come out now after a long period of time. Liberia is trying to come out, but this uh, is they are still struggling to do so, and uh, it's, it has only come after decades of suffering. Mm. Now, how, what age group? What was the age of the kids you were teaching in uh, when? The, oh, uh, they are they are uh, up in the. The, what'd you call the northern part? The northern, yes, in Gider. That Gider. was the town where yeah. I taught. Yeah. And, and well, mostly during that year and a half, I taught uh, the middle age group of, um, of let's say fourteen and fifteen and sixteen year olds. Um, sometimes older, but I taught that middle group. There were, of course, younger grades and older grades in the school, mm -hmm. but that was the mm -hmm. age group that I mostly worked with. And that was, uh, what subject did you teach? Uh, English language. Mm -hmm. Their ang language is a second language for them. English is a second language for mm -hmm. them. And what did you use for a curriculum? Uh, I was given very little. I had my textbook and, um, you know, of course I, I did student teaching in the U.S., but not as... As teaching English as a second language, so I really had to learn as I went. Uh, I had a textbook, I had a blackboard, and I had a piece of chalk, and those were uh, all the equipment I had. So with that, I had to pick up my methods as uh, as I went along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you had something pretty much established when you moved to Creepy. Uh, of course, I had picked up a lot of experience in that year and a half, and I, during the 30 years that I've been teaching, I continue to pick up experience. There's, there's no time in which I don't learn something new. Mm -hmm. And really, even when I went to Kribi, although I, I had a better idea of, of how to go about it, uh, I still learned mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. As I went. Now, what was the class size in uh, Gader versus Kribi? Throughout my experiences everywhere in Cameroon, uh, class sizes have always been above 50 and sometimes up to 100. Mm. But uh, in recent years, my class sizes have been in the 80s. It's gone down. Oh, it goes up and down. Mm -hmm. It really goes up mm -hmm. and down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember in the north, in in, in Gidea, that was many years ago now, but surely there, there were not less than 60 students in my mm -hmm. class. And that was the same in... Um, in Kribi in the south. Now I'm, I'm teaching in Baminda. And, and where is that in relation to that's, Kribi? That's... Uh, Kribi is way down south along the coast. Um, 
But Mind is in the northwest. It's in the northwest. Um, it's you so be, sort of a you transition begin, you, between one right you begin other. to be in an area where you find a great deal of both uh, religious groups mm-hmm. both muslims and christians mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. still more christians than muslims there and when you say christians do you is it protestant catholic I think that it's basically must be half and half Catholics mm-hmm. and Protestants. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholics, are, of course, are the largest group, about half the population. The Protestant half is a division of many, many different uh, religious mm-hmm. groups, some mm-hmm. large ones that we know, like the Baptists and the Presbyterians, mm-hmm. but many, many small ones mm-hmm. are there as well. And what's the receptivity of the Cameroonian people to the message of the Baha'i faith? It is, there are always people who are, who are receptive to it, and that is why we have a very wonderful Baha'i community in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. Um, People have stumbling blocks. I love my, I consider them my countrymen now, I consider myself part of but I have discovered that um, for so many Christians that I meet, their primary concern is uh, how to get to heaven, how to be saved, mm-hmm. how to be saved. And uh, I wonder if um, they really know w- what being saved is, because as a Baha'i, I have learned that being saved is a, as a transformation of your character. Mm -hmm. This is the essence of what being born again means, is being Mm -hmm. transformed from uh, what you were before to something much better. It it involves spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. It involves uh, learning to be more dependent upon God, to be more um, detached from the material world, to be more concerned with the the needs of others, to to think about the betterment of the world, mm-hmm. to know that all of our good spiritual qualities come through the grace of God, that through our prayers God assists us to grow spiritually and mm-hmm. to develop uh, our qualities. Mm-hmm. They come through God's assistance and God's grace, but, uh, but first through our desire to grow spiritually, through our efforts and our prayers. Mm-hmm. And this is what uh, redemption is all about, uh, being lost and, and discovering yourself as a true child of God and living as a child of God. This is what uh, spiritual growth and redemption is truly about. It is not simply about uh, avoiding punishment and getting uh, a reward, uh, saying that... Uh, the that I do not l- wish to 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 criticize another person's doctrine, mm-hmm. but truly there is more to God's plan than saying, "Well, we deserve to be punished and condemned." But as Christ was condemned in our place, we will not be condemned, but rather we will let us we will go into paradise. Truly, it is very limited doctrine. It doesn't concern itself with human beings becoming better people and being transformed Mm. and acquiring 
the spiritual graces, the spiritual qualities through through God's grace and assistance. At the, this is uh, the situation. Most people, sadly to say, are mostly concerned with how to get to heaven, how to be, as they say, quote-unquote, saved, which in their mind means that uh, they have believed in God and Christ, and so they will go to heaven, and they will not go to hell as they otherwise would have. And that is their only concern. You talk about the betterment of the world, and they say, but how am I going to get to heaven? And you talk about acquiring spiritual qualities, and that's okay, but how do I get to heaven? It has become a real stumbling block uh, for them. Uh, And I now understand why Baha'u'llah says that we should have faith in God and put our faith in God and not be concerned with either punishment or reward. And and Christians ask me, not be concerned with punishment or reward, but truly you believe in Christ because of the reward. And how can you say that you believe in, in God and Christ and you're not concerned with the reward? And I tell a little story that <laughs> hopefully helps them. And I say, okay, let's say you are a parent of a child and you have to go on a journey and you have to leave your child with a trusted friend and you might say to your friend uh, please take care of my child for these few days while I travel and when I come back I will bring you a nice present and the, the your friend readily accepts to take care of your child. Now the 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 friend could say okay I'm taking care of the child's for my friend, I'm going to get a nice present when he comes back. Or you can say, well, I love my friend and I'm going to take care of my friend's child regardless of whether or not my friend remembers to bring me a present or not. And you take care of the child for the love of your friend rather than for the reward that you're going to get out of it. People accept this story and they say, okay, so we love God and we serve God without thought of what reward or punishment we will get. It's a, it's, it becomes love, unconditional love, not love for the thought of mm. what you get in return. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Now, you have developed a family since going there as a young man in yes. 1976. So tell me about how that came into being. Ah. Well, I... Uh, met my beloved wife who is from Iran her name is Manal Agdasi uh, her name was Manal Agdasi still is Manal Agdasi Gillette. anyway she came from Iran to, to an international Baha'i conference in Cameroon uh, of course first to attend the conference but also to really to look at the country and to see if she would like to settle there to serve the faith as I had done with that same um, intention and that was two years after I had been there actually three she came in no two she came in 1978 for that international conference and our meeting is uh, a little sweet for me I remember we were both late for breakfast you know they were serving breakfast each day in the the conference was being held at the University of Yaoundé's uh, campus, and we had breakfast in the dining halls. 
in the university. Anyway, I was late for breakfast on one of the early first days of the conference, so I was rushing to get there, and by chance she was also late. Uh, she was just a little later than I was because she was walking a few steps behind me. I didn't know there was somebody behind me as I was approaching the door. As I was approaching the door and ready to open it, I heard a voice greet me, uh, good morning. So I turned around and I found a very beautiful young girl standing there and I uh, quickly tried to think of a clever response and I said, uh, uh, well, good morning too. And <laughs> so I opened the door so we had breakfast together. Since we had arrived late, we just had breakfast together. We talked, had a good conversation. We attended the morning session of the conference and then we had lunch together. Then we attended the afternoon session of the conference and had dinner together and this uh, continued and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, we have one. Well, she went back to Iran. She did because she did not originally come to to settle. She went back to Iran to settle her affairs, and then she came again. She actually she was uh, leaving Iran right in the middle of the revolution, the Islamic Revolution, in the closing months of 1978. There was rioting everywhere, a lot of burning of buildings. Um, her plane was supposed to take off at a certain hour of the day. Maybe it was 3 o'clock. And at that very hour, she was still in her house because she could not get any taxi to the airport. She could not find transport to the airport. The whole city was in chaos. She had a good friend who agreed to take her there. So she got to the airport way late, way late, long after the plane should have been gone. But the plane had not gone because none of the other passengers had been able to come either. So the plane was sitting there empty, waiting for the passengers to come. So finally, when they had enough passengers uh, had arrived that, that uh, they could now take off, they did. So Manol made that plane and returned to Cameron here. She remembered driving to the airport with her friend and watching the Pepsi Cola Company factory in Iran uh, burning down. And, uh, yeah. So she arrived in uh, Cameroon, the same location that you were at, or what? what well, was after our meeting at the conference, uh, I. During the course of things, I proposed. So mm -hmm. she came to live with me. At that time, I was living in Kribi. She had never been to Kribi before. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we got married, I took my new bride to my hometown. Mm -hmm. uh, my home became her home, and she mm -hmm. quickly uh, started arranging things as she thought should be arranged, which was, of course, much better than I could have done. In fact, as I had lived there, I had arranged nothing. I had been living like Gandhi with wooden cardboard boxes. So she, she fixed things up. She fixed things up. She made my life uh, decent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you had a son? Yes, Ramin was born in 1981. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to have other children, but um, for reasons unknown, she had difficulty. She had a, a series of miscarriages. Mm -hmm. She had a child who died at birth um, at one point. 
So as we got older, we realized we were getting beyond the normal childbearing age, so we just gave it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. as my own mother says, it's uh, quality, not quantity. <laughs> so we are satisfied with our one son, and uh, yeah. he is he's a fine young man. He is mm-hmm. finishing up uh, at the University of North Carolina soon. He has just been... Uh, two months doing some social service in Rwanda, Mm. trying to help some uh, development agencies there think of what Mm. to do to help after the genocide Mm. some years ago. Although that terrible time has passed by a number of years, the country Mm. has not really fully recovered, so there's still a lot of work to do. So he was there Mm. in Rwanda. Mm Uh, visiting the field, doing field work, I suppose, uh, g- going to villages and taking note of what the situation was in these villages so that people would later use this information to decide what might be done. Mm. So what does the future hold for you, David? Ah, good question. Good question. Uh, one never knows the future. When I came to Cameroon, my father said, um, how long will you be there? And I said, well, at least a year or two to see how things are. And those year or two, that year or two has become over about 30 years now, 30 years, 76 to 2006. Uh, I always say that I will stay as long as the uh, situation permits which might be till the rest of my life, the way things are going. But uh, Africa is um, a continent of of instability. We pray for Africa, hope for the best, but one can never um, be too sure of how things will go. So, God willing, I will remain there. Maybe I will bury my bones there. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But uh, if... But the future is finally in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Didn't your mom have an interesting dream about your destiny? Ah, uh, well, yes. Anyway, she had difficulty with her first son, my older brother, John. And uh, they had to have an operation, um, probably a rather major one, I would think, for such a small baby. Uh, my brother was only a few what, a day or two old when they discover he couldn't swallow food. It had to be the first day, surely, that they discover that he couldn't swallow food. And uh, th- obviously that's that's fatal. So they had to do an, an operation on him, and that must have been rather serious for a, such a, a, a newborn infant. So I'm sure that my mother thought that uh, she was going to lose her first son, but God willing, uh, she didn't. So when I was born, she prayed to God that um, that if I was born healthy and no problems, uh, she would give me to Him, give me to God. This is what her prayer was. So I don't know if she thought about this prayer afterwards, but when I went to Africa to serve the faith, serve the Baha'i faith, she began thinking about that prayer. And she says, oh no, it's because of that prayer that she has lost me to Africa. She wanted me to be in the Baltimore area where she could see me 
on a regular basis. And then she said, if I had not said that prayer, he wouldn't be there now. And she, so she said she lived in regret for that prayer for for <laughs> years. She says, never promise anything to God. God will somehow time cash in on it. And uh, <laughs> so that's the story. Well, David, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to interview you. It was good to be here. And good luck in the future. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David Gillette, a school teacher for 30 years in the African country of Cameroon. For a copy of this and other interviews, you're welcome to go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on a Baha'i Perspective. country.
Justice is allowing fairness to guide your actions and decisions. Justice is someone being judged individually, not based on the capacity of another, which also means that people receive what they need to survive or accomplish a goal. Justice is being open to ideas that are best for a given situation. First and foremost, truthfulness is being able to be honest to oneself. And only then is one able to proceed with extracting honesty and truthfulness from others. Patience. First thing I think of when I think of patience is my son Adam. He's developmentally delayed and even the smallest thing takes so much time to accomplish. Every day is a test for me to remember, stop, take a deep breath, be patient because when I'm not patient, the frustration is overwhelming. And when I'm patient, I can enjoy the journey without worrying so much about the destination. Kindness to me is an important aspect in my life. Kindness means being respectful, making someone feel better when they're down, and allowing someone to take your place. Being kind to others makes me feel better about myself. affairs 
in thy hand Thou art my guide and my refuge I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved I will be a happy and joyful Nor will I let trouble harass me I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life Oh God, Thou art more friend to me than I am to myself Myself to thee, oh Lord. Oh God, refresh and glad. My spirit purified my heart, illumine my powers. I lay all my affairs in thy hand. WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.